0: I was thinking. <coughs> excuse me. I was thinking about your comment about how everyone has jumping mind, and just to be aware of everybody. Everyone has jumping mind. Jumping mind. Uh-huh. And just to be aware of where it's going, and um, not to see it as a problem. And I wanted to, um, to comment that in this country. Um, millions of children receive medication for jumping mind and it's called attention At- deficit attention. and um, At- then other children receive medication for um, jumping mind with jumping body which is called attention deficit with hyperactivity yes. disorder and um, it seems ironic but what they receive is a stimulant yes. and um, so I'm wondering what you know I would love to have Sayadaw come to one of these conferences and reassure parents all across this nation and the children that it is not a problem because um, (laughs) I can't tell you how much the teachers and the parents and the children all think it is a very big problem. And for the children who can't sit still, yeah, that is a problem, that they can't, you know, sit and pay attention. But for the children who just have jumping mind, Um, you know, they really think that they are in a world of their own and that they really need help. He says, you
1: know, people like that just need to be patient and practice with it. Um, With patience, everything can be trained. And the person who teaches needs to be very patient, too. Is it a dynamic? Mm-hmm. There was a
2: question asked before regarding depression. Mm-hmm. And um, if we change the nature of the problem, and my question is whether a teacher would have
3: similar suggestions. For example, if, if I had sleep problems or heart problems, and it wasn't with my life in general. Uh, would the nature of the remedy, or suggestion for a remedy through meditation or through practice, be similar, or would it change with the nature of the problem? Mm.
1: As compared to depression, he doesn't have a formula. For each person that comes to him, you know, he asks them questions or tries to clarify what they're having, and and then tries to help them with that. So it's very specific to each person actually. If you're talking about sleep problems, insomnia for example, he says the main problem is that the mind is agitated.
4: The mind can't stop thinking.
1: And he has met yogis, you know, who have had chronic insomnia all their lives and or have difficulty sleeping because of pain. And he has talked to them and they have tried it out and they find it works they can
5: sleep
1: (laughs) he says when we're not sleeping what is the mind doing so if all those negative states of mind keep churning he says there's no way the mind is going to go to sleep in the world of meditation I'm sure you've heard of he says people who meditate all night long and have no problem at all. They stay awake all night meditating and they're not tired the next day. Nothing wrong happens to them. He said, and the reason is because awareness, samadhi, and so on are good qualities of mind. And if they're really meditating, good qualities of mind are being cultivated all night long. It only strengthens and wakens the mind. It does not make the mind um, tired or... Um, in any way, but if it's negative states of mind minds that are being practiced all night long, well, yes, the mind will be very miserable and tired. What can you do with the heart? Right, it's a physical uh, problem. You can take the right medication and um, accept it. He says one of the reasons heart problems are aggravated is because of the mind at, uh, of the mind and how it is. He says, there is something happening to the heart, but that's not a problem. It's just a disease. It's not a problem. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: It's
1: (laughs) not (laughs) a (laughs) problem. Very often, he says, you know, uh, heart disease. um, Stomach what do you call it, gastritis and stomach problems, uh, I hesitate to say problem now, <laughs> and say tension in the head, headaches and stuff like that, chronic ones, a lot of them have to do with the state of mind, chronic states of mind. There was a yogi who came to the center once, and he told the teacher he had pain in his chest area. He wasn't sure if he was having a heart attack. And the teacher said, you're not sure? He said, then don't worry about it. He said, if something bad happens, we'll send you to hospital. He said, just don't, like, don't get anxious about something you don't know. Just meditate. So he did. And then he went home, and he went to see his doctor, and his doctor said he had a heart attack. But nothing happened to him. Because he didn't worry about it. He says, you know, it's important to remember that we will die anyway one day. But what's important is, what state of mind do you want to die with?
4: I want to ask a follow-up question from Jennifer's question about how um, nice it was to look at her mind, even in its judgmental state, as just nature. And then the answer was, that was the first step. That you're looking at it as a scientist would look at it, and yeah.
1: so what's the next step? So the next step he explained just now is to be to now be aware of it. Now you have right view of this state of mind. Now you're going to observe this state of mind and see how it behaves, what it does, why it does,
2: <laughs> how it
4: comes. <laughs> <about>. <laughs>
1: He says, you know, that first step is really the very most important step. He says it's not important to be practicing meditation as an observing it. It's really important to first get that right view in.
4: And can you... Does he think you could do the next steps by yourself? I mean, is he suggesting... Are you suggesting that wisdom will arise on its own? Or, or do you need a teacher then to... Only he really, says you've got family, uh, only. You
1: know, the observation and investigation is really your work. It is your work. He's given you all this information to help you to work in the right way, and you have to do that work. You have to pay those dues. He's explained how, you know, there is two kinds of wisdom that are already available to us. There is information as wisdom, and there is our intelligence as wisdom, and we need to apply these two to practicing with anything. And uh, how, when, how or when insight comes is uh, not within our control. He says that's why he says to remember why are we being aware, not to forget this uh, objective. He says, he says if you're studying some subject, some field of knowledge. He said, don't you have to go back to it and check it out all the time? Like if you're an astronomer, you're going to look at the night sky every night, maybe more than every night, maybe all the time. So you know more and more about what's going on there. That's a learning process. Same goes with the mind. You have to gather your own data.
3: Information too
1: figure out when it is has become information and then figure out how these different streams of information are giving you knowledge and then using that knowledge so that you can then do something effective with that knowledge that's wisdom but that's your work
4: your responsibility Sayadaw, I, I experienced the desire to ask you a question, and then it came up, and then it went away. So, so it's gone now. So, thank you. Thank you so much, and I will really try to put your teachings into my, into my practice. So I'll have more questions maybe next
1: year. <laughs> okay. We can and, and we need to practice our whole life, yeah, continuously. Can we bring the other microphone here?
2: Yeah, okay.
5: So in my practice I uh, seem to have a sharp awareness um, constant all the time. Awareness of many things. Yeah, many things. Ultra 6K sense, very sharp awareness. It's very nice, comes very relaxed, and no effort, very effortless. But uh, it's almost when I ask the question, what I'm aware of, it's like looking at a rear view in my mirror, like if I'm driving a car, and by the time I say what I'm aware of, it's It's already gone. gone. So so, uh, Do I need to stay in the constant stream, or do I even need to to ask what I'm aware of? When I feel that I'm already aware of many yeah. things.
1: You don't, you don't need to ask yourself that question anymore. It's so clear. He says, and when you know that it's already known, how does that make you feel? Do you know why it's peaceful?
4: Don't answer the question. <laughs> don't, don't
1: think about the answer. He's, he's just asking. <laughs> Yeah, he says, you know, we introduce questions and we don't need to get answers immediately. Once the question has been introduced to the mind, he says the mind will work on it by itself. He's never satisfied with peacefulness only. He always wants to know what can be understood from this, through this.
5: Okay. When the mind makes the shift from to being lost in objects, to being aware of awareness or aware of mind or aware of what's rising. At first, there's a sense of release and relief and interest. If that's sustained for a long time, then because it's not familiar, I notice the mind begins to become uncomfortable. Uh, And some, like the mind, wants to bend back and go back into the familiar uh, kind of unconscious, just going unconsciously with the flow. And so I was looking at that and thinking, okay, well, then to be aware of that discomfort, you know, that desire to go back. And so that was interesting and that was good for a while, but it still wants to go back and it Mm -hmm. builds up. So I just wondered if Siodo had any advice for the continuity, because it's not so difficult to go there or even to stay there for a while, but to to really stay there continuously, uh, the mind gets uncomfortable after a while and it wants to go back into the familiar and how to work with that.
1: He says, um, it's because the mind likes to be with the objects that it wants to go back to them. All, all, habits, it, it's, uh, <laughs> all habits die hard, he says. <laughs> Attachment is strong. <laughs> and he said, um, you, if you are able to, on the question of continuity, if you are able to stay with the mind that is aware and so on, um, stay with it. It may be uncomfortable, but stay with it and he says the other thing is that you know discomfort and stuff are all uh, revealing of the attitudes in the mind and when you stay with the mind is when all these attitudes are noticed the moment they come in because you're with the mind you notice the things that keep coming up in the mind so he says and what do you think will happen if you go back to the objects You just get lost in it Endless Endless. wandering and
2: objects.
1: So it's greed that's motivating that action. Don't follow greed. (laughs) (laughs) So you have to watch that greed. Suss out that greed. He says, why greed becomes uncomfortable, greed becomes resistant. He says, it's because greed is unhappy it's not getting what it's wanting and why greed is so strong and has so much power is because we've been feeding it and so it's
4: pretty fat
1: he says wisdom is getting interested and greed is wanting it, its own thing back
5: absolutely
1: yeah he says when we feed greed it gets very strong absolutely I've uh,
5: noticed one other question uh, if Sato would be willing to talk about this, if not, it's okay. Um, in his life, uh, he was uh, started in high school and then uh, lived a uh, family life in business. And then at some point, uh, there was a change in his mind. And I'm wondering uh, if he would be willing to talk about it all, what that change was that really guided him to let go of the world and become a monk.
2: Let go of the world? Well,
5: <laughs> let, let go of
1: that, that relationship that to life. the world
5: mm-hmm. and shift it.
1: So he explains that, you know, when he really began practicing it in earnest, like continuously in lay life, it was really in his uh, late 20s. Uh, he had practiced since he was young, but it was only in his late 20s that he started doing it full time. And the reason he started doing it while even at home was because he was suffering so much. So his motivation for practice was great suffering. But once the practice had taken him beyond that suffering, a lot of wisdom started to emerge. And then he said he had a second wave of motivation for practice and that was a true desire to understand more because he saw that this was the result of the practice and it was great. And uh, that's when the desire to understand became the prime motivation for practice.
2: Thank you. I wanted to build both on the insomnia question and on this question that was just asked about your mind just sort of continuing to go over objects and objects. Are you defining that as greed if you're waking up in the middle of the night and you're just awake and thinking and thinking and very agitated. Mm-hmm. Are you defining that as greed? Because I've been thinking of that as confusion or delusion oh. and trying to figure out how to work with that mm-hmm. in a skillful way in the middle of the night when all that stuff is coming up. Mm-hmm.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. He did say greed, I think. He said um, he, he said negative qualities of mind, defilements. The defilements are what is motive, are um, helplessly making the mind you know, think and think and think. Yeah. And it's the not knowing what to do with it, like trying to figure out what's the skillful way to do with it and not knowing, that's the confusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And, and he's explained how our ordinary view of things is, uh, is deluded. It has a wrong view. So he says we really need to get a right view of all this that is happening. The mind is thinking continuously, but can we bring the right view to it? Well, This is the nature of the mind now. The mind is like this. And then only if the mind has that kind of space to just see it for what it is, then, he said, you can now figure out what to do with it, like observe it or whatever, if that right view becomes present. He says you have to uh, turn the engine of the train onto the right track, then the rest of the, 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 train, the train will ch- come along. Ch- <laughs> so you have to ch- you know, switch that track over. <laughs> pull that handle. <laughs> Otherwise the, the train will keep going on its own <laughs>
4: momentum. At that, time,
1: at that time, he says, awareness alone is not enough anymore. A lot of wisdom is, uh, wisdom is needed. So you need to bring in all the, the knowledge and information that you have and intelligence you have to the situation.
0: So I've really appreciated the teachings on wisdom, and I'm wondering if Sayadaw could talk to um, how he feels compassion fits into his teachings.
1: Compassion. This is, this is how it fits into his teachings. He doesn't ask people to cultivate qualities of compassion, metta, and so on. Uh, he works with the reasons why they're not there. And the reason is anger, uh, which is there because of greed. And he says, so he teaches people to actually watch those qualities that are covering or hindering us from those natural qualities. Once we understand anger, we, we work with anger and we understand it, and that anger has not that power over us. He says, then when there's no anger... Then all those qualities, you know, the Brahma Viharas, the metta, the karuna, the mudita, I the upekha, are available to us. And each of these qualities are simply different qualities because of the object that it's taken. So when it's someone equal to us, we have metta, someone is suffering more than us, that's karuna. Someone is doing better than us, it's mudita, and you can't help something. Then it's upekha. So when the mind is in the right mood, he says these qualities of mind naturally arise. So this is how the vipassana meditator comes to the <laughs> mm. There is, he knows, uh, this way that some people practice, uh, you know, metta and karuna and all as a concentration practice, as a samatha practice or a tranquility practice and only after that move to vipassana practice. Yeah. But he teaches only Vipassana. But even in that way of teaching, he's seen how all these become resolved through the practice of Vipassana. He says, because if you're practicing right, the qualities of awareness and samadhi and wisdom are really growing. As wisdom and awareness grow, he says, what happens is the defilements get less and less. And if the wisdom, samadhi, awareness, and all are always present, he says, then all good qualities of mind become available to the mind because the defilements are less and less. For some people, sometimes he says, uh, practicing metta when there is anger, uh, and they try to send metta to the person they're angry with, can uh, sometimes set up a conflict in the mind because the deep down mind actually is not happy, and the surface mind is trying to you know, pacify it with thoughts of metta. And in some cases, some people can even effectively lie to themselves that they're over it. She calls it a
2: sugar
6: coating <laughs> But
1: actually, in the depths of the mind, the mind is still not happy
6: <laughs>
1: And he says, this sort of sugar coating may work once or twice, but if it happens over and over, after a while the what's deep down inside starts to erupt.
2: With concentration practice, my experience is that I cannot concentrate for any length of time without um, not struggling, like just releasing the energy, the effort, and just relaxing into it. Otherwise, it you know, get a headache. But when I'm really present, I don't have a headache, yes. and, and I'm going easily and it's actually quite pleasant and quite I feel at ease. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I've been doing more concentration practice and now I'm coming here and I'm very drawn to this open practice as well. I, it feels really nourishing and it also feels as if just doing a little bit of it has made an, an impact, so I think one of the things that the Saida said about the uh, that doing concentration practice, one thing was that you always have a desire for the state, But so I'm looking and I'm trying to evaluate, well, now what do I want to be doing? I'm feeling, well, I have the desire for that openness, too. And I think there's good desire. In the no, 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 <laughs> no, no. desire, but well, I don't know if Just a moment
6: ago, we were yeah. talking about the second stage of Saiyajan practice that he
1: was talking about. Yes, yes. And, and when there's new desire, mm. new, motivation, new. new motivation,
2: new okay. motivation. So, what's the difference between
1: motivation and
2: motivation?
1: Right. Okay. (laughs) I understand. The word desire in English is a confusing word, yeah. He says, so um, there is a difference between motivation by greed and motivation by wisdom. And um, he says, when we want something, if greed is wanting it, he says, you can tell it's greed because in the wanting there is agitation and in not getting the mind suffers it suffers disappointment dejection despair and so on but if it's wisdom that's motivating it wisdom wisdom desires things because it understands cause and effect like these conditions have these results and something is desirable for its inherent goodness or rightness or whatever Wisdom, when wisdom understands, he says, in the wanting, there is no agitation. Wisdom just does its work. He it says, this is what I need to do to get this done, and it'll just do it. And if it doesn't get it, it's not disappointed. Well, with, with concentration
2: practice, I, I thought that was my experience. I think that is my experience. That when I start, when greed starts to motivate me I'm going up oh, and do this yeah. thing, then it goes away. And yeah. there's no reason. Yeah. But if I'm, at, if I'm with ease when yes. I'm practicing, yes. then actually if I, if I turn my concentrated mind to the cosmic, it's so
7: easy.
1: Yeah. Right. You see, so when the, the mind has the right attitude, you can do
2: anything. Yes. yes. <laughs>
6: So uh kind of to follow up with her question, um well I I've studied a little bit um about different Buddhist traditions and uh, I'm wondering uh it you know it seems in the Theravada tradition there's this kind of uh leaning towards you know, uncovering the mind, and then the uh, the Buddha nature, the the Dharma kaya. So, sorry, ju- sorry, sorry, could
2: you could you repeat?
1: Could you repeat okay. from the beginning? Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Um, in the Buddhist tradition,
6: in, or in in Theravada uh, lineage. Yeah. Uh, um. I, I guess I'm wondering just about. I, I see like the archetype of like. The Ar the Arhat and the Bodhisattva, um, as far like, as far as like different ways towards understanding. And I'm wondering, uh, it seems that um, you know Vipassana practice, you know, you're seeing, you're uncovering what's in the mind, uh, you know, and um, kind of seeing through the different defilements. Uh, and maybe I'm, you know, misunderstanding it. Whereas like um, you know there's other practices which are um, the main practices like sort of the metta practice or the compassion practice and I uh, it seems like there's you know you know they talk about the two wings of enlightenment how they're infused together and I'm wondering if um, like I, I see both as very powerful uh, forms of practice and so I'm wondering um, what Sayedal has to say about that, about how one would incorporate metta or when it would be like useful or something like that. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah.
1: He says, you know, he did say just now, when wisdom is present, metta is always available. It's already there.
6: So um, by that logic uh, by like practicing, if your main practice is uh, uh, generosity or metta or what have you, does that lead? Is does it work the other way that w- wisdom will be there? Yes,
1: it can lead that way too. Yes, because the purport of metta is non non aversion. Non aversion, and the purport of generosity is non clinging, and when there's non clinging and non aversion, there's not these defilements, then wisdom can arise.
6: So, uh, just um, to culminate my culminating question, then is, uh, um, you know, uh, in the West there's so many different flavors and traditions to choose from, and it's it's kind of we have like this big Variety to choose from, and you know I, I like the simplicity of this tradition. Where you know the Tibetans are very elaborate with their tradition, and so many. Tra- uh, anyways, <laughs> uh, and I'm wondering, um, you know, it's it's hard for me to decide if there's one that really works the best. And I'm wondering if the Saidao has something to say about how to figure out what is the right practice. You oneself. Know, yeah,
1: for oneself. Yeah. Just you have to ask your own mind.
3: <laughs> Hi. Thank you for coming such a great distance to give us the privilege to um, address you. You said earlier about uh, how the mind feels, see how the mind feels, and I have always separated the mind with feelings. They seem to be different to me, but as I've gone forward in my practice, I see that my mind generates feelings, and my feelings generate thoughts. Yeah. and trigger each other. Oh. Mm. I have not thought of them as being one. If you you them, have not? I have not thought of them as being one, one and the same. Yeah. Until the teacher said something that I thought that I heard that that's what it was. Is it the right perspective to see them as all one? Mind and feeling. Oh,
1: I, I think it's semantics. Hold on. Mm-hmm. It is
3: a state. Yeah. Not different.
2: <laughs>
3: it's not different.
6: You know. Well, state. <laughs> state. <laughs> Which oh, is yeah. a state? The
3: thought and the feeling is not separate. They are one. Oh. Is that so? Yeah,
1: yeah. They are all one. He says, it's you know, the mind... Uh, it, I think we have to s- distinguish between mind and thoughts and feelings. Yes, so the mind is like... He gives an example. The mind is like water, a body of water. Mm -hmm. And if you dip yourself into that body of water, there's a lot of things going on in the water. And that's all those different functions of mind that you see the feeling function, the thought function, and all these different activities that are happening, all of them being part of the mind Mm
4: -hmm. and constituting the mind as well.
1: And so he said, you can think of mind as a river, because it's a flow, actually, Mm -hmm. as a river. And if you know the river, he says the river is made up of a lot of water. So what you're experiencing is not wrong. Right.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And and, um, the other thing that I would like to have him address is the practice of gratitude. I found in my practice that when it gets dry and when I get well, dry, I guess is the only way to put it. And I am judging myself harshly for not participating in our cultural values. I find that having gratitude for the things that I am learning, the things that I am becoming free of, the simplicity of my life, helps me to continue, it gives me motivation to continue my, my practice, and that I actually have the choice to have gratitude for the simplicity of becoming aware. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and just when pho- you say cultural his thoughts on
1: that. What you, When you say cultural values?
3: Of America, of uh, what we see as valuable, of, okay. of acquisition and having position and having, uh, you know, the things that we value in our culture.
1: Right. So when you feel like your gratitude like turned, towards I, that is I have, getting, I have getting dry.
3: When I, have, I have found sometimes that I judge myself harshly because I'm not playing that game anymore. Right. I don't have that desire. Right. And yet, sometimes I get lost in between not having that desire. And having the desire to be an aware simple to, to live in my simple awareness yes. of this present moment. And, and then and, and when I have gratitude for that value of having that value of wanting this awareness. Yes. When I simply have gratitude for that, yeah. it helps me in my practice. Uh, and I would like to hear his thoughts on that or if there are any. Okay. <laughs>
1: He says, um, you know, if you know how to value knowing, uh, if you know how to value that, he said, that's enough. Because what is the what is the meaning of life? Why do we go through this life? What do we want to get from it? He says, and if we understand the value, the wisdom of knowing, and appreciate that, you know, that's what life is all about. Is about that wisdom of knowing.
3: I'm good, I'm good, what I'm
1: he said, what are we living for? We need to get, have that answer. It's important. Life is to grow
4: our wisdom.
3: Thank you.
1: Yes. Last two questions, please.
4: Uh, I was wondering... Um, since Saida has worked with a lot of Americans, if he's found that um, since our minds are conditioned not only by our families and other things, but by our culture, if he's found that any that we have special um, needs in terms of medication, i <laughs> <laughs> <and> becoming. <laughs>
6: he
1: says no special needs he says you know in the end it's just the defilements what's stronger wisdom or greed and aversion and delusion that's
7: all Okay, so you just said a little bit earlier that what's important is is the is this, the knowing, right? Looking, going to, toward what is it that you want to know about life? Yes. So what is it we're here in this world for? I mean, uh, aren't we supposed to go through that material success? You know, whatever it is that the world is supposed, you know, we're in this form of human form, right? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. That, part.
1: you want the answer to that
7: question? Is right. that what you mean? Right. Right.
3: <laughs>
1: well, he gave the answer he said his wisdom
4: <laughs> to grow
1: we are human so that we can grow our wisdom as we grow older and older, he says, our wisdom and awareness should be and steadiness should be growing older with us, you know he says, then you can say you're human or you're making being human worthwhile." If our defilements are growing as we grow older, he says, it's hard to say.
2: Human.
1: He says, what about people who grow so old and then just don't know anything anymore? And what's the point of being human?
7: So is it not necessary then to go after the goals you set for yourself, like, you know, succeeding in life, that kind
1: of thing? He says, you know, you can have goals. Don't be attached to them. because if we become attached to them he says so what if you can't reach your goal what we're going to be miserable so we need goals yeah. we need to have objectives but always remember does something do we get something just because we want it do you think that it's because I want it that I get it is that what makes me get things my, my desire for it, brings it to me.
2: And if it
7: doesn't, then what should we do?
1: He says, the only thing we get when we want something only, he says, is misery. He says, he'll explain to you why we get the things that we get in life. He says, the reason things come together, we get things is because the right conditions have come together. And that's why the result is there. So when you want something, he says, you must understand there is an objective, but you must understand the conditions that are conducive to the, the fruit, to, to that result happening. And he says, all you can do is try to fulfill, fulfill those conditions. And then it also helps you to see that if the conditions are not fulfilled, that's the reason why that goal is not reached. Yeah.
7: So it's up to you. <laughs>
1: He said, somebody once said, you know, when you want a lot of things and you keep getting it, be careful because you might get suffering together with it. (laughs) Because sometimes the things we get create suffering for us. And at that time we don't want it anymore.
2: (laughs) That is a difficult place to be.
7: But it's still a difficult place to be when you want something and you know you can achieve it.
1: Yeah, he said, you see, he did say just now, when you want something, the only thing you'll get is misery, if, only, if there's only the wanting. Yeah. And when you don't get it, of course, there's more misery. He says, just do the things that need to be done. Yeah, to but with
7: wisdom, with steadiness, with awareness. So when you want something, what do you think you need to do? Do you need to sit down to say you should have wanted or it or should we get it you?
1: He says first, he says establish the difference between wanting and needing. What we want and what we just need. He says in America he sees along the roadside many things that people keep throwing away. He says and people accumulated those things because they wanted it and now they don't want it, they're discarding it. So just check, he says, when we are wanting something, we've set a goal for ourselves. Is the wanting based in greed or the wanting is based in wisdom? We need to know the difference between wanting something and act- actually needing something.
7: So only for what you need. Sorry? Oh, yeah. So go only for what you need, is that what you're saying?
1: Well, wisdom, of course, only uses what it needs. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. you. He said he really looks forward to and hopes that all of you will continue to practice at home. Then he will come back.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Sayadaw, for coming to see us and um, sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu.